Hey there, motherfuckers. It's Baron Vaughn, and welcome to Deep Shit. Um, it is a day, a day that you are listening to this with your ears, and I am talking to them. Well, I'm talking, and uh, the device that you're listening to is putting my voice in your ears, so I'm not necessarily talking to your ears as much as I'm talking into a thing that will be put into your ears, so I'm indirectly talking into your ears. How are your ears doing? Sup, ears? Hey, ears. Here's a little treat for you. Mm. Yeah, you like that, ears? Here's another one. (laughs) I hurt myself. Hurt myself trying to do my little bastardized version of Tuvan throat singing. Um, So anyway, uh, hi. Good to hear from you. Or see you, or for you to hear from me. Um, today's guest is Ron Funches here on Deep Shit. Ron Funches is doing big things in the uh, comedy scene. He hasn't been around that long, but he's going to be around for a very long time. Uh, got a lot of things going on, man. He uh, had a killer appearance on Conan. Uh, he was a writer on The Kroll Show, Nick Kroll's sketch show on Comedy Central. He's now a cast member in the new uh, sitcom Undateable. Uh, and he's only, and he's been in Los Angeles less than a year (laughs) and all these things are happening. I'm not jealous. No, I'm not. Uh, because he's a person that I actually truly like and we're nothing alike. So it's like, I don't see it as he's taking work from me. I never see it as anyone's taking work from me. I feel like there's room for everybody and, uh, there's a place for everyone. I'm just trying to find my place. You know, it's just that they're. The people who set the places believe there are a limited amount of places. So they only set a few places, but there are many places, and I will find my place. I'm finding my place, guys. That's why I have a podcast. I don't even know what the hell I'm talking about right now. Um, I just had something very interesting happen to me that has never, ever happened before, and I'm actually kind of amazed it hasn't happened before. I just got back from Montreal at the Comedy Nest. Um... And uh, that was an interesting experience. It was it was good. Like the club is actually a, a a nice club. It's it's laid out well. It is kind of small. Uh, it has like a New York feel to it. Um, the audiences are a little strange, you know. I mean, it's Montreal, so it's like half French speakers and half English speakers, and you know the, that's who's at the show: half English speakers and half French speakers. And they say it's a it's an English speaking comedy show, but I don't know. The audiences were were kind of low energy. They were hard to kind of crack open. A little bit, but um, fortunately, the people who run the club and the staff of the club, they're gigantic comedy fans. So they never looked at me having a weird show as I'm not funny. They're just they still had um, a lot of really good things to say about my sets and not the most amazing things to say about their own audiences. (laughs) But they're still building their thing. Uh, I know that that the Comedy Nest has been around for a while, but I think this is like their third location or something. So it's relatively new, this new location. But who knows if that's a, that that matters or not? Anyway, I had two shows last night, and uh, I had a nine o'clock flight from Montreal. Montreal is how you say it. I always said Montreal, but that's not how you say it. It's Montreal. You have to kind of swallow the mon and make it sound like mun montreal like you say like that then you sound canadian also toronto is toronto okay that second t fuck it it's not there toronto toronto and so it's montreal 
and Toronto, not Montreal and Toronto. That's how they know that you're a fucking American. Look, if you're going to pretend like you're Canada so that way you don't get deported and you can get all that free health care, you need to learn how to pronounce your fucking words. It's also progress instead of progress and process instead of process and um, sorry instead of sorry. Okay, you got to say it's not even it's it's in between. You got to think of sorry and sorry. You know, Tom Cruise's daughter. And it's in between there. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I I I, <laughs> I couldn't hear the difference myself. Anyway, I have someone else's bag, guys. There was a person on my flight that put their fucking carry-on right next to mine. Right next to my carry-on. And we had the exact same fucking bag. And I took that person's bag. And I've never ended up with another person's bag. I have specifically bought bags so they don't look like other people's bags. Like bags that are different colors because everyone has a fucking black bag. And I took someone else's fucking carry-on bag. And I opened it and I'm like, this isn't my shit. And I, that has never happened before. I've had, I've had luggage lost. Uh, but I've never taken someone else's bag. And now I have... Some random guy's bag who loves Italian underwear. Oh, guys, this guy's got a lot of Italian underwear. Yeah, I looked through it. I looked through the bag because I was trying to find fucking information on this person. Because I was like, maybe I can call them and figure out how to get my shit tomorrow. My favorite purple sweater vest is in there. Okay? And my toothbrush and other things I like are in that fucking bag. My my wireless Bose speaker, well, that's going to fuck up. Fucked up. Things that's going to fucked up. That's kind of fucked up. What the hell? So I need to get that bag back, and um, we'll see. I'm going to call the airline, I guess, and see. Hey, I got someone else's bag. They'll be like, "Oh, weird. Someone else called about the same thing. Maybe it's related." Yeah, you think so, Delta? You know what? Put Jonathan Delta on the phone. The founder of Delta. I would like to talk to Jonathan Delta right now. Delta Berg. Anyway. Um, yeah, I, I've been on the road a lot, and I got a couple road dates coming up. Let me uh, just tell you a couple of them um, next week. Ooh, actually, it's this week, isn't it? This weekend, I'm going to be at the San Francisco Punchline, guys, one of the best comedy clubs in the country. I'm only doing four shows. I'm there on the 27th and the 28th of September. That is a Friday and a Saturday. If you are in San Francisco or Oakland or Alameda, any of the Bay Area, fucking come and see me do the comedy ha-has. Okay, guys? That's what's going on. Then the week after that, um, which is next week, I'm going to be in the Cabo Comedy Festival in Cabo San Lucas. That is, um, I'm going to be there the 3rd and the 4th. I think I'll be doing Set List on the 3rd, which is the improvised stand-up show. And then on the 4th, I will be doing a show uh, at the Hard Rock Cafe or something like that. And then I will be back on the 5th in time for Los Angeles Podcast Fest. And I'm going to do a live version of Deep Shit, uh, I believe with uh, Hassan Minaj, or Hassan Minaj, and Dave Ross. Dave Ross, who's a very funny comedian, has a podcast called Terrified. He has not been on this podcast yet, but uh, he will be soon. I like that guy, and I like his ideas. And uh, both him and Hassan, or Hassan, uh, are very good friends. And uh, as they are friends with me, um, and we're going to have a good talk. I'm going to try to get a uh, uh, philosophy professor. Uh, there have been a couple people that have been 
uh, recommended to me. So I'm going to go try to reach out to them again. If you have some ideas of people, uh, feel free to hit me up on the book of faces, Baron Vaughn. I'm on, it's my fan page on Facebook. Go like it. Uh, or you can hit me up on Twitter uh, or Vine, not Vine. Don't hit me up on Vine. Uh, keep it to Facebook and Twitter. Hit me up and let me know if there are some uh, philosophy professors that you know of or I have a connection to in the Los Angeles area. Uh, or you could email me at contact at baronvon.com. And also, I appreciate your uh, philosophical questions that I want to try to incorporate into the podcast when I interview people. Ask some questions. Ask some questions. Okay. Um, but yeah, so that's going to be next week, October 5th, the podcast festival. Uh, after that, I'll be going to New York and I'll be performing at New York Comic Con at the Javits Center. That's going to be October 10th. I will be at the Javits Center in the Comedy Mutant Show, which will be myself, Mike Drucker, Mike Kaplan, Janine Garofalo, and Brian Posehn. Uh, then October 14th, uh, I'm going to be on Totally Biased, W. Kamau Bell's show. W. Kamau Bell, who was a very good friend, and uh, called me on the phone about a bit that I did on Ferguson. And I'm going to do a version of that on Totally Biased, and that's going to be on October 14th. And through the 9th, the 9th through the 17th, I'm going to be in New York. So if you're in New York, I'm just doing various shows all around the place, all around the place, okay? And it'll be some of the old habits, you know, like uh, Whiplash and Night Train and stuff like that, I'm trying to figure that out still. Um, then I come back to the West, and then I will be at the Madhouse Comedy Club in San Diego, October 18th and 19th. And then the week after that, October 24th and 26th, I will be at the Improv in Atlanta and all around Atlanta. I'm going to be doing a bunch of different one nighters from Columbia, uh, Columbia and Greenville, South Carolina to Nashville and Knoxville, Tennessee to Huntsville, Alabama to Asheville, North Carolina. That's going to be all around and that's going to be at the end of October. It's going to be basically October 22nd through October 30th with the dates at the Atlanta Improv in the middle, October 24th and 26th. I'm just going to leave it there for right now, guys, because I got a lot of dates got a lot of dates and i don't mean nuts <laughs> what so yes let's talk to ron funches guys uh the issue at hand here is a balance because like i said the mofo's got a lot going on and he's trying to figure out how to balance all that around his stand-up and around his personal life uh, especially because he has a young son that is in a different city than he lives in so uh we get into it and, uh, yeah, what else? All Things Comedy Network, guys. Check that Shiza out. Uh, check that Shiza out. And there's going to be a live All Things Comedy show at Largo again uh, coming up this week on October 24th. I mean, up September 24th. So check that out. AllThingsComedy.com. Here's Ron. <laughs> Your heart not heavy when she says goodbye Do you reach for another when you turn off the light Do you sigh yourself awake Is there nothing you can fake Do you wear it on your face Like it's all you can take Does your heart still beat Does your heart still beat 
I was talking to somebody about, um, oh, my friend's dad went to go see Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. And Paul McCartney deigned, deigned to say something political. And he was so upset about it. It's kind of like, he just should be, a, I wanted to be a singing, dancing song man. He shouldn't yeah. say anything. Uh, the fucking Beatles have always been political. <laughs> They've always been political. Like, ever since they took drugs, they're like, oh, there's things happening in the world that perhaps need some attention. Or the fact that, uh, that like, these are the people she said that, like, are always like, oh, politics has no pre- place in music, says every person younger than Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. That's people don't like celebrities to talk about anything because they get paid so much they don't they're like you don't live in the reality that i live in even though i like to look at it's like oh maybe they know more than i do (laughs) how's that it works out for me makes me feel good makes me want to be a scientologist (laughs) it makes you want to be a scientologist because celebrities know more than you do Mm mm-hmm are you really interested in Scientology? Um, somewhat. Not a hundred percent. Not enough. Not enough to tie to them. Not enough to give them money. What are you interested in? Um, I like some of their viewpoints. I like uh, some of their thoughts as far as us basically being like aliens that got misdirected and trapped in human bodies. I'm into stuff like that. That sounds like fun. Uh, <laughs> just stuff like that. I like. Just calling upon your power, and you know, and then re- removing the toxins that are within your body that are blocking you down from being your true self. I like that type of stuff. Mm. That sounds more like Eastern philosophy than what I understand Scientology to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're yeah. all mixed. They're all kind of mixed and matched. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's his name? Uh, L. Ron Hubbard, right? Isn't mm-hmm. he one of the fathers? Yeah. So he took a lot of different things and put them together. But I'm I'm I, I never even what you just described to me is like oh that doesn't sound that bad no but it I mean I guess it does when they when they start using the meters and levels and all this other stuff but that just seems money related you know just yeah the overall uh, weirdo stuff about it doesn't sound much more far fetched than anything else so it doesn't but I also feel like Scientology is in a sense the newest religion. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of like the new kid in school yeah, that is going to make like all these it. mistakes. And the seniors, namely like Christianity and Islam, are like, we've already been down this path. <laughs> oh, poor Scientology. So it's, like, it's like hip-hop. And they're all like saying, oh, hip-hop won't last. <laughs> yeah, basically. But I want to get my gold chain. <laughs> put all your gold in the chain. <laughs> you got to take all your gold and put it in the chains. That's keep those chains. Take it with you. Take it with you. <laughs> Um, like the like the uh, what was that? Paul Mooney had a joke about that. Like that the uh, the Egyptians is like you can't take that money with you. The Egyptians tried. <laughs> God bless them. They tried to take it with them. <laughs> you ever work with Paul Mooney? Uh, I've never worked with Paul Mooney, but I've I've been near him. I've went. I've seen him live a lot. Have you worked mm-hmm. with him? Yeah, I worked with him for a week. Oh, he he lived in Portland. Ooh, <laughs> but he didn't know anything about you, right? No, of course not. He just uh, wanted to, you to be black. Yes, of course. And that's what. Because Michelle Buteau opened for him once, too. And that was the one thing that he said. He's like, is she black? Fine. Yeah. It's fine. That's it. Yeah, yeah. What was it like to work with him? Uh, it's very interesting. It's He's just like your grandparent or something. He's just old. Mm-hmm. You know, his jokes are old. His viewpoints are old. 
his patience is not there <laughs> you know so he's just like old into himself he has all his old friends and um he, he just kind of then gets on stage and does a mixture of jokes and some what sounds like hate speech and, into a mic for an hour and a half and <laughs> It was a. It was like, oh, this guy's a legend. I love watching a legend. I know you. I I have a respect for you and things you've done. I'm not mm-hmm. some new kid that doesn't know anything. But at the same time, it's like, oh, you're just like also like you know you're an old person that you know has weird things you know against certain races where you're like, well, we've evolved past this. You're just still stuck in it. Mm. That's interesting. Okay, yeah, because it's interesting that he does have like his jokes. Are really cat skilly mm-hmm. in a sort of a way. Yeah, it is very formulaic. Very uh, like my favorite thing that he would do was that he would take an obvious famous person and pretend that he forgot her name so that the audience would yell it out. But it exactly. would be so famous that you'd be like, "There's no way you forgot this person's name," and you do this six times a week. Exactly, exactly. He, I remember he, I remember him doing that. He was just like uh, the president. What's his name? You yeah, know, exactly. Kind of like uh, Bush, Bush, right? And his vice president, uh, Cheney. You should have known with the dick in the bush, you were going to get fucked. And it was like, oh my, oh my, yeah, God. yeah. Ah, You're like, oh, real, real, real insightful. <laughs> like, I still, I still do appreciate what it is that he has to offer. Oh yeah, I'm interested in that. I am interested in his viewpoint. I'm interested in a viewpoint that is that has been around that long. Yes. Like when you have been around as long as you've been around, what is it that you wish to share with yes, us on stage? Of course. Utmost respect. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think maybe I'm a little bit more ut than most. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm saying utmost respect, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, step, keep trying. Don't stop trying. Well, you know what? I was talking to somebody, I think it was John Roy yesterday about Damon Wayans. Mm hmm. And I guess he was at some. Sh- oh, you know what was Flappers? It was a YooHoo room, that small ass room at Flappers. Yeah, it was apparently booked for a show that I was unaware of. Oh, at Flappers? Yeah. And then how, how did does you that find happen? out? Uh, through Twitter, but I didn't go because I had already made other plans. <laughs> Tonight, Ron Funches. And you're like, what? No, I didn't. No, I never. Nobody told me that. <laughs> you know what Flappers does? This is weird. They'll send you an email mm-hmm. saying that you're booked, and then you have to. Go to the, you have to sign up and say no I can't do that and if otherwise you don't, you're just booked otherwise you're booked how did I even get in the system I have no idea okay I have no idea I've gotten emails from them they're like we booked you for this show if you know you have to sign up you have to go into it two days before the show at least two days before the show and say you can't do it or they'll just consider that you're doing it which What's is like weird is that's never how anything's ever worked for me is I usually have to either reach out to you. Or say yes to booking a show. That's so weird. Exactly. Whatever. But you Shout have to say to no flappers. to being booked. It's not <laughs> the, the, okay. It's interesting. It's backwards, but it's what it is. So anyway, Volt, uh, you comfortable? I'm super comfy. I'm going to lay straight down. Oh, come on. I can't I can't look at you in the face if you lay straight down. Just like, <laughs> yeah. Are you okay? Do you want a pillow, Rob? Yeah, I would love a pillow. Son of a bitch. <laughs> I don't think I have any. I think I have a nasty pillow in here, but it needs a pillowcase. That's okay. We don't have to keep that. Is that your mom or sister? Right there? Yeah. That's my little sister. That's my Aww. oldest little sister. Yeah. Yeah, Natasha. Natasha and Alana, my sisters. They're 19 and 18 now. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Um, Natasha recently had a um, uh, relationship, an engagement 
and a breaking off of the engagement and relationship Ooh. within a five month period. How old is she again? Nineteen. Oh, perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's way better than you go through it. Yeah, and you know, I was I I protested the wedding. Yeah, I said that I was not going to participate in it, and also I said that because I think in a way that like she's gotten so used to. She's still in that kind of teenager brain of everyone hates me and no one's going to listen to me. Me against the world. Me against the world. And so she lumps everyone together as the haters. Yeah. And there's no difference to her between you saying, you know, you shouldn't be driving around a little drunk at 1 a.m. And you shouldn't get married. And you shouldn't eat another candy bar like all that is the same as hate <laughs> you just hate it so there's no there's no nuance to the, no, the just imagine her driving around drunk getting married eating a candy bar yeah exactly <laughs> I, uh, going, fuck you hater not that she's ever driven around drunk i'm just saying that's a good thing not to do yeah. don't drive around drunk i know but i mean the same i when i was at that age i was the same way i think my first marriage was mostly based off of that same I think of like, oh, you don't, you're not into it. You don't think I'm good enough or whatever. Well, fuck it. We're going to stay together. You know? <laughs> Interesting. You said your first marriage was based on that? Pretty much. Um, based on just spite? Based on spite of, of her parents and mine, probably. Oh, because they, did your parents hate the fact that you guys had gotten married so much? Uh, well, they just didn't. I mean, they were probably just right. I was like, you know, 20, my first relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also would prefer if she was a black black lady. But, you know, my mom would have known way beforehand. My first crush was Jessica Rabbit, so she she knew. <laughs> I would always be like, I want a girl with long hair that I could run my fingers through. And then, he, and then she'd be like, well, that's probably not a black lady. <laughs> <laughs> and then your your ex-wife's parents weren't fond of you. No. Uh-uh. So it was a definitely us against the world type of thing. And it just went like that, especially when I started doing stand-up. It, you know, added extra to it. And then, you know, when you start having those enemies eventually then you look around and you go oh i know that we're not fighting against people i just kind of don't actually enjoy you like now i see their point ah okay so it's just kind of like you were you were more concerned about proving people wrong than being with the person that you were with yeah i was more concerned about proving people wrong i was more concerned about especially like you know at my son when i was 20 so i was definitely concerned about it i'm not gonna be one of those guys that has a kid and just takes off and has multiple kids and is like that black stereotype right right you know? right so there was definitely like no this isn't gonna happen i'm gonna get a job at a bank i'm gonna get a 401k and things are gonna be okay at 20 mm-hmm. and now you're at 30 mm-hmm. and you're just kind of like Woo. <laughs> oh 20 year old ron yeah you were silly you were hilarious super silly if i could just be as funny as your dreams <laughs> and this kind of naturally takes us to i guess uh the topic that you wanted to speak about mm-hmm. which is balance balance so what the heck does balance mean to you balance is like i mean it's the one of the most important things in life that i think that we sometimes don't take importance of just the making sure to work and play to take care of your everyday things while also 
being a weird artist you know like the, some of those things are the hardest for for people i'm not going to speak for you but for people like me i don't i have a hard time being like pay your bills go look for a new place to live if you need a new place to live you like things like that are very difficult to me and i have to make sure i do both that that i'm working hard not just playing around but also that i do play and have fun like it's the same thing as like i like I'm a weirdo who enjoys pot and chilling out and doing stuff, but I also consider myself a good father that provides for his son. So, like, there's definitely just balance in life is important to me. So, why do you think that those things are hard? The the working stuff hard. Uh, I think some people just aren't built for those. Well, things. I mean, for you yourself. For me, it's just it's boring. I don't like it. <laughs> That is true. It is it is pretty damn boring. I don't want to do it. It's not there's nothing fun to it. Um it's just same things with regular jobs. Like I hate like there's never been a job that I could do for longer than like a I could do it for 2 years. I'd mentally checked out within the first 6 months. Yeah, I I told an old joke last night. Uh you know Laura Crawford, the young mm-hmm. comic. Yeah, I like her a lot. Yeah, she's very funny. She's she, nice. She's cute. She's funny. And I'm sorry I didn't give you a ride home that day. You needed to take the bus. I was too stoned. And I would have, if I was sick, and I'd be like, oh, give this nice lady a ride home because you're a guy from the Midwest and that's what you do. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know that she's going to listen to this, but if she does, she'll be like, oh, I accept your apology. I you know, she does. I'm going to accept that award. I haven't seen award. her since, but like, I felt like the, the next day I was like, why did I get I'm an idiot. I'm just not. A, I mean, I just got too baked. I guess I don't know. Do you have that thing where you? Because I had, I do this sometimes when I see a person that I know. It's almost like a Terminator 1000, where a file of who they are comes up next to their face and goes like all this information that I've experienced with them, mm-hmm. and I still be like, I did not give them a ride home. Like that's a, that's a thing. Like they thought it was weird when I looked at them like that. Uh, I touched her on her lower back one time. She yelled at me. Yeah. I'll never, I'll never, I'll never forget that thing. <laughs> uh yeah and then like they won't remember at all but like with me it was like oh i i felt a, something in my character there like i don't know no no and that's true because it is autobiographical that's why i kind of kind of remember it. it's just like that was me not being a good me maybe yeah or me well, being misinterpreted because i was like oh this other person's here and she's kind of drunk and cute and she seems interested maybe i should do with that but it's like oh i like this girl she's like a friend i should give her and she's tiny and she might get beat up i don't know you know it was too late at night i should have given her a ride home as a, as a grown man I, I felt bad about that okay well now we know <laughs> <laughs> but the point is she told a joke about I, I i went up after her and i riffed on you know i'm riffing on what people are saying because i was hosting and so i i told this old joke about working because she was talking about like jobs jobs being boring and i the last jobity job that i had was at the law firm in new york mm-hmm. and it was office administration stuff uh and i had this one joke because i talked about how my boss hated me because i'm black but it was because she was also black <laughs> so she she thought i was the black person that was ruining it for all other black people in corporate america <laughs> i was this lazy, shiftless black person that people uh, are afraid to hire that she, for her whole career, has been like, no, that person doesn't exist. Finally, she met me. (laughs) 
I was her flying Dutchman. I was her white whale. And suddenly I was this – that's what she thought I was. That's the mm. joke where it's just kind of like – but I wasn't that. But she was so concerned that I was that she had projected all this stuff yeah. onto me. So I'd come into the office being like, hey, everybody, good morning. How's everyone doing? I brought you some coffee. But she would hear me go, showtime, showtime. Step right up, step right up. Who wants to take that turn with Massa's wife? Nickel for the look, dime for the touch. Like that was, she thought I was Roscoe P. Lazy Coon. <laughs> perpetually on the verge of singing the choruses at Bitty Doo Now it comes from that kind of office. Because I remember working at that office. And I didn't dress for an office mm -hmm. because the person before her that hired me told me that I didn't necessarily need to. I think there was all these things that her predecessor told me I could do that she was unaware of. Yeah. She that decided that I had decided those things. And that's not how you're supposed to work. Yeah. But she, she never well, laid down black, black cops. Syndrome. Exactly. But she also never laid down what she thought were the new rules. Yeah. But until Bill Mars until what? No Bill Mars. No, no, no Bill Mars. No new rules. And like she wanted me to dress in a certain way. I, there was this hat that I used to wear that a friend of mine made me. It was like a black knit hat. And she, being African, had put some colors in it, some symbols in it. And I liked the hat because someone had made it for me. And I didn't have to comb my hair. That was the most thing I was excited about. It, people would mistake it for my hair if it was on my head because it was a black knit hat. Yeah. I eventually asked her for one that was just black that I wore a lot. But they wanted me to not wear this hat. Mm -hmm. They thought it was unpresentable. So they asked her, the they, the lawyers, who were always smiling to my face. That was a big thing. Oh, just like, tell me to my face that you don't want me yeah. to do something. That's of what I hate about corporate jobs in general. Both of those things that you went through. The fact that someone, and it wasn't even like a group of people. It was one person. Went to one person and said, I don't like him wearing that hat. And all of a sudden, that hat's unpresentable. Like, you're not allowed to wear that hat because one person had a problem with it. Because one person had a problem. A person who I was just talking to and was smiling. Yeah, who can't me, tell you And anything. thought I was funny. Yeah. And it's like, hey, you know that hat kind of, maybe you shouldn't wear that hat. I would rather have that than like, they're very upset about the hat. Who? The people that were just shaking yeah. my hand and laughing at my jokes? Yeah, exactly. That's what I hate the most. That's what I love about stand-up is that there's no, there is no person like that. People can make fun of you of how you dress or how you look or whatever, but no one can tell you what to do. Some old-timey comics will be like, you should dress up or you should do this or that. But as long as you're funny and you're presenting what you do, no one tells you what to do. Yeah, and you know what? I think when those old-timey comics say something like that, I uh, there's, there's the subtext of it that they're not saying. You should dress up. You should blah, blah, blah. And it sounds like they're just commanding you to do stuff. But I've started to think about that as like they're saying I need to respect my audience. Yeah. Or respect if i respect my appearance that's a means of respecting the audience it's yeah. not necessarily true oh yeah i've definitely have upgraded i mean but it's like the best me as far as like i'm not wearing dirty t-shirts wear <laughs> <laughs> which if you had your druthers <laughs> is what i'd be wearing uh, <laughs> well i'm gonna wear a nicer t-shirt i'm gonna wear you know the the nicest things that i have but they're still based off of me it's not me wearing a suit Unless I want to wear a suit, because sometimes they'll look really nice in a suit. But also, I think it just it depends on. It does change how because this is a couple comedians that wear suits. Yeah, like, 
like Ryan Stout. You know Ryan Stout, right? Yeah. I almost feel like the audience would not come with him on a lot of his act if he wasn't in a suit. Yeah, I can see that. And Mulaney, you know? He, yeah, Mulaney started wearing suits, too. He just, it's like watching um, Clark Kent turn into Superman. He's like, <laughs> you see him outside, he just looks like a little boy. Or I guess it's more like Shazam. That's true, Captain Marvel, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's a little boy, and then he puts on his suit. Shazam! And they fucking Mulaney, and he's murdering. That was always confusing me when I was younger that Captain Marvel was a DC character. I know. But there was no Captain DC. No, and there's a Marvel girl who Mar- is Marvel. Marvel girl was Marvel? I think so. Are you sure? I don't know. She wasn't part of the... <laughs> if you're a comic book nerd, please don't write us angry emails. <laughs> don't be like, um, excuse me. I don't know why that's my... That that really sounds more like Nick Swarton. That was my nerd voice. It was like, um, excuse well, me. Well, sometimes those are true. I went to Comic-Con and there was some very difficult... Stereotypical nerd voices going on. Well, do you think they're doing impersonations of nerds? Like they're like, "Oh, this is what I'm supposed to sound like if I'm no, a nerd." That was just them. Letting I guess their I have to have that down. voice. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, when you're when you're upset about anything, if you are trying to correct anyone about anything, technically you're being a nerd. Yeah. Of that true. thing, just let it go. That's what I look like. Like typos when you're on Twitter and stuff. Like if you got the gist of it. What's more idiotic, the fact that I made the typo or the fact that you had to go, um, you meant, oh, I think you meant this. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, I meant that. You know I meant that, and I know I meant that. Why'd you have to say something? You're gumming up the works. Let's keep it moving. <laughs> keep it going, God damn it! You got the joke. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's not a term paper. It's 140 characters I wrote on my phone while I was trying to eat something at the same time. Exactly. That's what I hate. I've gotten used to, like, when you have to do interviews where you type them out. Mm-hmm. Like, before, I'd be like, all right, they're the writer. If I write this out, they'll fix the grammar. Mm. But a lot of times, oh, they will not. And so then the next thing you know, you look like a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can speak for yourself. I'm always amazing at that. Well, but uh, no, I'm I just don't like, I mean, I just, I usually speed through. So now I've learned to make sure at least to spell all the words correctly before I give it to them. Even though then I'm like, what is your job then? If I wrote it, who interviewed me? Well, that's the thing is that I... That's why I prefer a phone interview um, because I write the way that I write when I answer questions like that is different than the way that I talk. Mm-hmm. Although the way that I write, it is kind of it's it, obviously it's conversational, but I will use because I was a playwright. So the way that I write is almost like a play. The way that I use punctuation mm-hmm. is like a mammoth like script. Stanzas, very- uh, okay, like I'm, okay. Stanzas? Yeah. Yeah, I write rhyming couplets. <laughs> oh, I am a pentameter. <laughs> Baron, how, how do you feel about the shows tonight? Me thinks they will be good if audience could come. Um, that's <laughs> but, uh, And speaking of, like, I like to, in some ways, when I write, I like to misspell some words. I like to, or if you see me doing stand up, like, I'll mispronounce words on purpose in a way that I think is similar to plays like like when Shakespeare and, and things where he did a lot of, of slang and I, those are just things I love. Because- well, but Shakespeare also invented so many words, but also English as we speak it now and spell it now is not, there was no agreed way to spell shit yeah. in Shakespeare's day. He just spelled it, everyone just spelled shit how they sound. Yeah. But like then people agreed, no, no, there's one way to do this and there's grammar rules. So I like the that, other way. 
Yeah. Well, a lot of that, like Folger and Penguin Shakespeare, they change Shakespeare's language to fit how grammar works now. But that's not how he wrote it. The punctuation is in different places. And he writes it out like a musical score. Like every piece of punctuation tells you something about how to say it. Yeah. Not about like how to read it. <laughs> anyway, Ron. You, would, I like this. I like this. The two black guys sitting on the floor talking about Shakespeare. Talk, two black guys. That's the name of this podcast now. <laughs> We're officially changing it from deep shit to two black guys sitting on the floor talking about Shakespeare. I like it. I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it. We've been spending a lot of time lately together. Well, fun. and I've been talking to comics when I came back from Indianapolis saying uh, I was fortunate to have, even though we didn't like hang out a lot, we did hang out. Mm-hmm. And knowing that you were there just across the way brought me a lot of psychological ease, <laughs> knowing that I wasn't going through what I was going through in Indianapolis by myself. Yeah, definitely did. Uh, Although the shows weren't that bad. No, they weren't, but they're definitely work. They're definitely work. I mean, if you are in Indianapolis, you guys need to get out and support live comedy a little bit more and (laughs) and do it in a way in which uh, people will, the comics will enjoy having an audience (laughs) that enjoys comedy. Come out, be younger. (laughs) Can you just be younger and cooler? Nice, get our references. (laughs) Yeah. I came up with a new save line, which is like, oh, you guys didn't read the curriculum. Like, I, 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 I specifically sent a list of it's readings. It's just real rough and tumble there. Not rough and tumble, but just, I don't know what to describe it. Just real middle. And real middle is good. Some of them, like, could get on board. And then some no of offense, them crackers. I mean, you know, uh, focus again. And when I say crackers, I don't mean white people. I mean the names of these comedy clubs. <laughs> the names of these comedy clubs is crackers. <laughs> I love the two black guys headlining crackers. Yeah. Two black guys headlining two, two black crackers. <laughs> um, two black crackers. And I'm ready to pop. Talk about Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> and you know what? I actually... By the end of the weekend, I feel like I learned a lot. Like, there yeah. was some things inside of jokes, just language things. I'm like, that makes it better. Like, how, I need to, when I'm trying to think of how to explain myself yes. to people who do not get me, yes, which is, if you will, the entire point of stand-up comedy, yes. is how do I make these people who do not know what I'm talking about know what it is that I am talking about? It kind of brought forward some good stuff that I was like, ah, that's good. And I'm glad that I recorded that. And yes. glad I recorded oh, that. Oh, absolutely. I love it. I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't need it all to be built down. No, know? no, no. I'm not saying that you're saying that. I'm just saying that like, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I, I, I had a bad attitude going into the weekend about how it was going to be. Okay. I was not looking forward to going there. Yeah. Because of the first time I was there, I was like, this is not good. But I had an, I was, I had low expectations. Therefore, it surpassed them. Yeah. And the booker said something nice. She was just like, you just killed. She was like, she saw one of my Friday shows. She's like, you just killed. You just totally killed. You're so much better than last time you were here. <laughs> Which is a compliment. It's like a backhanded compliment. It's like, I better be better. Yeah. If I have been doing stand-up longer and I'm not getting better, I need to stop. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm- that's why we put, you know, do the challenges. Go through the harder room. Go through the challenges. But you also, and we we talked about this a little bit because you said something which I want to I want to disclaim is not um, discouraging and is not a slam. If anything, it's a big compliment about a comedian that we both enjoy named Lil Rel. Mm-hmm. 
Lowell Howery, mm-hmm. who is a Chicago-based comedian that I think is hilarious and a good person. Yep. And but you said something, and I want you to speak to this because I really liked this. Where you said that you thought Lowell well was what you would have been. He's what you would be if you would have stayed in Chicago. Yeah. And had to work these black rooms. Yeah. That you would have come up with something that was still you, but still for the, that audience. Yeah. But instead you got to go to Portland and explore your weirdness a lot more. What you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> What'd that mean? Well, will you, obviously I mean, you preface it, but I'll go back. You know, I love Little Rail. He's great. Uh, when I watch his act, I see a guy who probably had similar background to me growing up. He's from Chicago. I'm from Southside Chicago. I grew up, he has a lot of religious jokes. I have, you know, I grew up in a Catholic school. Uh, Black Catholics, blacklist. You know, my name is, my middle name, I was growing up, known as Kyle when I was a kid. My middle name is Kyle. My dad was Rana. So I was Kyle. His name's Milton, you know? Wow. Okay. So, like, there's a lot of similarities there, and I can see like, while like, you know, you're not you're not going to be Milton if you stay in Chicago. Mm-hmm. You're going to have mm-hmm. to be Little Rail, or you're going to have to get beat up. <laughs> okay. You know, and you know, you still have the religion there. You still have the uh, a lot of the uh, like he has his jokes about how you have to buy when you want to go to store in Chicago and you want to buy deodorant, you got to get somebody to go unlock the deodorant for you. Yes. You know? And like, I remember that. I remember thinking the jokes like that. I would have been right. I still go to places that that happens. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Uh, But because I got to go to Oregon right when I was 13, right in those formative years, Mm. I got to flip and see a whole other side of things. Mm. And so I, you know, that's where now my humor comes from is kind of having this weirdness that is backed up by the fact that I was raised in tough areas. So I can still talk about harsh things, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. they come from this whole, you know, weirder perspective. Weirder perspective. And I think that like, I, I and I wanted to get your ideas on this too. You know, Mike uh, Eagle, open Mike Eagle, the, mm-hmm. the, the hip hopist. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been on the podcast a couple of times. And I don't know if I said this on the podcast or if I said this after, I walked him outside and he was going to his car because I think he asked me who I thought my audience was, um, which is, first of all, I love black people and I want black people to like me because I like black people. Mm-hmm. Generally, black people don't enjoy what I'm doing in stand up oh, yeah, in the audience because it's black people who have a very clear idea of what they think stand up supposed to be. I don't fit it. And I, I, I claim that I feel I'm one of the first black comedians or a very small group of black comedians that didn't have to work the urban rooms. And I've been doing stand up for 12 years. Very rarely did I go and perform in these black rooms, yeah. you know? And I, I did when I was in New York, I went to, I had some shows I did in Brooklyn. I had some shows I did in the Bronx that I'm like, I do not belong here. This is, you know, like, whereas we do have, I have a similar background to a lot of these people. Yeah. What it is that I'm talking about is there's, is not in their frame of interest. Yeah. And, and that's fine. Yeah. That's who they are. We but I talked about, I don't mean to interrupt you. No, go ahead. Uh, talked about what Aisha Tyler, like my first agent, after I did like a college NACA um, showcase. Right. Uh, 
Ate it. Didn't have fun. Nobody was coming up. And he was just like, oh, you're too black for the whites, too white for the blacks. And I took really took it. I was just like, I laughed it off. I took real offense to it and was like, oh, you, you're not going to be my agent for much longer. And But my idea was, my response to that is that, yeah, it's because I'm for everybody. I'm for everyone who has intelligence who wants to look at things a little bit different it's not supposed to be for black people it's not supposed to be for white people it's supposed to be for people who want to look at things a little bit differently and go that's pretty cool and that was that that kind of goes to what my answer was to mike when he said who do i think my audience is i said i think that the black people that would enjoy me the most are the exact black people that do not go to comedy Mm -hmm. because they have seen the same comedy that the black people who are going to comedy have seen. And they're like, well, if that's what comedy is, I'm not really that interested. Go. Yeah. The black people who like us are us. <laughs> you know? Like we're not, we're not individual in this, you know, we're a lot of like in ourselves and there's a lot of people like us. There's a lot of black kids. I mean, I would read the boondocks because that was my experience. A black kid from Chicago who was shipped out to the suburbs and had to learn how to live that life of now living like this while having a bunch of people being like, oh, you don't keep it real when you go and visit exactly. your black black friend. Exactly. And like, which, which is, and that's why I've tried to write a lot of jokes about like intra racism, like black people who decide, no, black people are supposed to be like this. It's like, there's no one. No, I'd have white people decide that for me. Exactly. You know, and every single edition we go to, speaking to Robert Townsend, <laughs> he's just not enough of a thug. Yeah, he's not black. You know enough. how black people are thugs. <laughs> when they say black, they mean thug. So urban. Be careful, you're killing my, my stuff. Not really. I got it. Oh, I should have never set up. No, <laughs> I want to bring the attention to the audience that Ron Funches has set up. <laughs> so if you feel like there's a difference in how he's going to be talking now, there's a new energy level. There's a new energy level, perhaps, and also maybe some sound stuff. Who know? <laughs> Who know? Um, so the point is, though, that that someone like Lil Rel is, and it's interesting too because he got attacked. I saw it on on Twitter because Roy Wood Jr. came to his defense. Roy Wood Jr. who I also love. Yeah, absolutely. Because like some dude in Philadelphia was trying to say that Lil Well was was a sellout and he was blah blah blah. And Rel has done everything the black comedian is supposed to do. Yeah. He did these urban rooms. He earned in a his lot of cape. ways he's held prisoner by it, you know? Like because there's people who be like, hey, change your name. Just be you, you know? And he doesn't feel like he can do that. I don't want to speak for him, first of all. And again, I respect maybe he feels maybe he feels that allegedly, but like, you know, he's done all those things. He's been on the BTS. He's been on the TV ones, you know, and that's my thing is like, I watch all types of comedy. Mm -hmm. I will purposely watch comedy shows that I think are going to be bad just so that I can learn what I don't want to do. And that's what I I do with movies, too. Yeah, (laughs) I'd watch TV one Bill Bellamy's Who Got Jokes and I saw a little real. I saw a little real win it. And I was like, that dude is fucking funny. Yep. That dude is hilarious. You know what? When he's when he's in town, I'll have him on the podcast. We can talk about this shit. <laughs> we can talk about this shit. Um, but again, again, it goes back to our our theme here of balance, because in our comedy, we're trying to strike. What the hell is that balance? The the and that's what that's what comedy is all about is just finding out how much of it, how much do you need to go to the audience, how much does the audience need to come to you? Yeah. 
meet you halfway. It's the same thing of like because of headlining, I learned that I can't necessarily do just happy like my rhythm where it's just like da 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 da. Sometimes I gotta be like yell a little bit i gotta wake them up i gotta switch the rhythm up and that's just finding a balance talk about a couple things that are rougher for me mm-hmm. and so that's going to automatically change it up um and so it is a balance it's not everything is nice you know but i always i like to always take I me mean, my comedy is usually me taking whatever situation and finding a positive spin on it and mm-hmm. the, the humor comes from that uh but if at the same time i just make sure that I find a balance and I don't always show you just one viewpoint, you know, show you the other side of it. Then, then I become more of a well-rounded performer. I believe. I believe that is also true because yeah, it's very interesting. Like, but I think it's for me, it's coming from the theater and getting used to always being a piece of a long form thing. The play is written Mm -hmm. and it's just kind of like, there's a there's an arc there's a rhythm with how it has to be performed so that way you climax at a certain place and then you come down from that blah 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 Mm -hmm. it's written that way we have to find out how to perfectly get to that place then come down so with my act i've always been very concerned about a through line and also doing an hour is its own form it's not the same as a 10 minute set no not at all and a lot of comedians will Take a 10 minutes. They'll take six 10 minute sets. And that's their hour. Put that together. And that's an hour. But sometimes they don't think. And it takes a while of doing an hour. And then that's when you get the speaking of this, something completely different instead of having a natural flow. Instead of having a natural flow. That's the one thing I like. I think that I've been naturally good at uh, and that I just love writing that way is that I will just write the progression of like, what does this thought lead me to? Like, I'm not. I do the exact same thing. God damn it, Ron. <laughs> totally different comedians. Yeah, we have some similar ideals. <laughs> similar ideas. The world don't move. <laughs> so but how is this uh this uh all right, calm down. How does this Ron is back on the floor. He was laying down. You were my you were my you were my third guest to lay down while I talk to. I all like it. of them have been black. <laughs> Eric Andre, Mike Eagle, and yourself. Just laying down on Just the floor. Black people laying, be laying down. <laughs> black people be laying. Niggas be laying down. <laughs> Brothers be lounging. <laughs> Chess lounge, that is. Um, so how is this? How is this balance like uh, manifest itself in your, in other places in your life? Like, are you seeing ever since you've been trying to think about applying balances to things that you think are imbalanced? Mm-hmm. Have you been seeing those more? They've been showing up. Uh yeah, I mean, it's just more making a constant effort and uh just not being lazy and just going with the flow. Like a lot not of, being lazy. Yeah. And wait, not being lazy and, and not, going with and the flow. And not just going okay. with the flow. Okay. Both of those. Not, yeah, both of those. Not I love going with the flow. Go uh-huh. with the flow. It's great. But point your boat. It's a flow. You know, I don't oh, okay. often I'm just letting my boat just drift and I need to make sure I'm pointing it somewhere. Mm. So it's just a balance in all things. It's just working out, but also don't eat you know don't just i don't i'm not gonna be a health nut ever but i do probably jump rope more than anyone thinks i would (laughs) (laughs) and that's good cardio yeah it's way better than jogging yeah i love it it. and i hate it uh 
and the kids in my neighborhood love it watching me do it. <laughs> do you go outside to jump rope? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I think that's my biggest thing about jump roping is that I don't want anyone to see me doing it. Yeah. Well, and then I do know, it in places that I shouldn't be doing it. In. I lost that shame along you know when I was a little, uh, Lady Liberty tax person. So What do you mean? You know, the people who hold the signs dressed as the Statue of Liberty. Did you do that? I did that for two years. In Los Angeles? <laughs> no, in Oregon. In Oregon? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know you were a sign holder. I was a sign holder. My boss uh, said he knew George Lopez, and that would keep me going. <laughs> wow. You, you, have you talked about that on stage yet? Um, I talked about having that job, yes. Ooh. But very little bit, Ooh. just very little. I'm interested to see what happened right there. <laughs> but I liked it. It really um, helped shape some experiences. I became friends with a homeless couple because we were basically like coworkers. Because you know, they show up with their sign, I show up with my sign. They probably made a little bit more, but uh, we were friends. Friends would hang out. Although, talk. if people went to get their taxes done, they got a refund. Perhaps that would go into the homeless uh, <laughs> coffers. coffers. <laughs> we both use the word coffers. coffers I know. <laughs> but I like it. And then like six months later, I saw them and they weren't homeless anymore. So they really made me happy. Oh, so I loved it. Really? Mm-hmm. You saw that like they, they got out of homelessness. They got out of homelessness. They made enough change or what did they do? Do you remember? I made enough change. And I think that they were also waiting on some disability things to come through, which I understand, you know, with some of the disability, I understand the struggle of uh, them trying to not pay you with money if you have a disability. So yeah, my stepfather's on disability. It's just, uh, I don't. It's just so weird that we live. I mean, it's not weird. It makes sense with everything else. But we live in a society where it's always pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Right. That's what I would always hear with my thinking. It was like, you know, I had a son who had autism, would sleep from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. I'm trying to do comedy. And they're like, why don't you have a full-time job? Why don't you have that? Why don't you do this? I'm like, because it's fucking hard. Why don't you do it? You couldn't do it either. Well, people want to. They're, 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 they're making gigantic assumptions based on very little information. They don't know what the hell's going on in your life. Yeah. But they, but because of that, that's why they feel more entitled to give you advice. Yeah. The less they know, the more they're like, oh, I know what this guy needs. It's like, no, you don't. You don't know what the whole story is. No. Motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. No, you're absolutely right. That's generally how it works. The people who know the least have the most to say about it, especially when it comes to judging your stand-up comedy. Judging your stand-up comedy, judging your lifestyle, <laughs> judging your yeah right way the way who that you dress judges the most about homo- whether or not a homosexual person can marry or not people who do not know any homosexuals exactly they do not know any gay people are like oh well that shouldn't be i don't know any gay people but you know what i you know you know what i do know the bible um <laughs> but you know i it's interesting too because i feel like i used to try to have a joke about this that like i know a lot of christians that are good people they're good people mm-hmm. and they don't judge and they're not hateful. There's a lot of judgy, hateful people, regardless yeah. if they're Christian well, or not. And it's just weird that some people just have old viewpoints. Like my mom, I would consider her a very loving person. Yeah. Uh, but she okay, definitely <laughs> um, is known. Like she, I've heard her refer to a homosexual and she'll be like, oh, that guy's a fruit booty. Or he's or, happier than a fag with a bag of dicks. Like I've heard her say before. And I'm like, you're my mom. Like 
what is going on? You worked in like Salvation Army for like 20 years helping people out, and this is how you talk. Like, I just fruit booty. Maybe she knew a specific drag queen named Fruit Booty. Named Fruit Booty. I just feel like that is <laughs> that is the most common. <laughs> and my grandmother had some stuff too. She she uh sometimes referred to Mexicans as Mexicans. Mm-hmm. Uh and also she she would say stuff that like Roy Wood Jr. had a great joke about it too, which was that like people black people who are mad that Mexican people are getting these rights. It's like they got the rights that we we fought for. They're getting these rights that we fought for. And he's like, That's the whole point yeah. of the civil rights movement. <laughs> so everyone can have rights. <laughs> it's like I heard Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech. There was no Puerto Rican. Yeah. That's disclaimer. the most the weirdest part about how homophobic the African American community is. I Super mean, homophobic. I still think because uh, in my personal opinion is because we're still a very religious community. Yeah. Well, and there's still and I feel like black people have white people are just like white so it's like awesome i'm, I'm set <laughs> that's basically where they exist i'm i'm doing okay I, I was born white i'm doing okay or they really get to a place where they maybe resent their whiteness or they're very aware of their of their entitlement or the things the way that people treat them because they're white that they're like well that's unfair I shouldn't get treated. Yeah. And there's also um, the group I would hang out with because I live in Salem, Oregon, white trash, who were definitely are like that's the thing is it's like like every race just has this group of niggas, you know? Yeah, white like, trash. These were the straight up niggerish yeah. fucking people I ever met selling oxycotton <laughs> in the middle of the day in front of their fucking apartment complex. Like it's just real nigga shit. Well, I was gonna say that. To to uh, interrupt the fuck out you no um well I I think ending on real nigga shit real nigga shit is perfect with Ron and Baron <laughs> um I was gonna say that I think that uh, black people more than any other group in this country have been sold this idea of blackness yes so hard there's this idea of black well, we've been sold it so hard that we'll we sell it to white people wait that we sell it to white people so it's just like white people do not have as strong a sense of what they think white is you know and when they do that's the clan um and i feel like they're just there's all these there's like a couple different ideas of blackness that are marketing strategies yes that we're sold so fucking hard and we all and a lot of people buy buy into it. Yeah. Thus, and some of that has to do with this machismo, this bravado, which what is the opposite of that is anything gay. Yeah. And it's almost kind of like I don't know if this is someone's joke or if I was just joking with somebody. Sometimes it's like being gay is almost more manly. You're so much of a man. <laughs> you want to be inside another man <laughs> or you want to have another man inside you yeah and we talked about this in indiana was that like a lot of these people who have that macho bravado background the person they they love in comedy is richard pryor mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who we talked about one of the his less famous but still famous to us bits is him talking about sucking dick about sucking dick and like and getting addicted to it yeah you guys love this guy. He enjoyed sucking a dick, and he talked about it. He he hooked up with men. 
And he openly talks about it. Yeah. And with Mooney, most likely. You think so? Yeah. You ever watch that roast where he calls Mooney Miss Thing? I loved it. Oh, no. I didn't know that. Oh, for the Richard Pryor show. Yeah. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. I have that on Dibba Dib. Mm-hmm. That's oh. one of my favorite parts. Because that's why he just, like, it's just quick. He just gives him a quick, oh, or should I call it Miss Thing? Oh, that's funny. Okay. I didn't notice that. What? The Richard Pryor show was so crazy. <laughs> so crazy that that and it's almost like what happened with Chappelle kind of mirrored what happened with the Richard Pryor show which is kind of like I don't want to do this in the way that you want me to do this Yeah, I'm out and everyone's like no we owe you no you don't bye <laughs> um yeah good talk <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's good too because like balance has been it has been a big theme in my life in the last year especially because this last year has been a very hard one for me hardest year i've had my hardest personal year since before the age of 25 mm-hmm. which is like i've been supporting myself as an actor and a comedian since the age of 25 which when i look at it is kind of fucking incredible yeah it's super incredible it's incredible that i have been doing this specifically this for seven years nonstop, and made money enough money from it to pay my bills so, sure, the last year, the work has been a little far and few in between. And uh, every bad decision I've made over the last decade has, caught up with it, you. It, it came like in, a, like in a two month radius. It was like sued, sued, sued. I'm like, okay, all right, this is what you want for me, Yahweh. I'm going to figure this shit out. Um, that's not how I felt at the time. That was when I was, I was where you were right now, laying on my back, except here alone with letters around me of you're getting sued. I'm like, I don't think I can do this anymore. That's where oh, I was. Yeah. I know that feeling. You know that feeling. Overwhelmed. But, uh, well, yeah, the divorce paper letters broke, didn't have any place to live, child support payment letters coming in. And it's definitely this feeling of like, I don't know what to do. And you just kind of surrender to it. Keep moving and pushing forward. And then the next thing you know, I'm having the best year of my life. Best year ever. I, <laughs> which reminds me, I have to kill you. Um, I'm trying to be the next black guy Whatever the hell that means (laughs) So I gotta kill you I gotta kill Gerard Maybe kill Michael Che Rel Rel, Lucas Brothers I'll make it look like they killed each other Uh, There's gonna be like one black comic We didn't say who's gonna listen to this And be upset (laughs) Trust me I know who you are Byron Uh, Damian Lemon, uh, Kevin Barnett, Kevin Barnett, <laughs> exactly. A lot of strong black comics out there. There are a lot of strong black, a lot of strong black comics that aren't quote unquote black comics yeah, as well. Yeah. See, that's the thing. I feel like, and you know what? I, and I used to get a lot of. That's why I feel like I'm in the first generation of comics. I've been doing comedy like twelve years now, and I feel like I'm in that first generation of comics that uh, of black comics that didn't have to do those black rooms because when I got to New York and when I was performing around. There, the older black comics were split on how they felt about me because the only other black comic that was around that was so similar to me was Jordan Carlos, which people were like, oh, you're like Jordan Carlos. When I finally saw Jordan, I'm like, we're nothing alike. We're articulate black dudes. Yeah. He went to Brown. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that's like that. But it's like, because we're not talking about, quote unquote, the black experiences you see it. That makes us similar, not necessarily. Our acts are different. The way we write jokes, the things we talk about, it's completely different. Now, I felt like there were certain black comics that 
didn't respect me or didn't like me because they felt I hadn't paid my dues in the way that they paid their dues. Then there was this other group of comics that loved I didn't have to do that. Yeah. I didn't have to go through this bullshit where they because they felt like they were never that kind of comic, but they had to do it to get to the point. It's like they saw it almost like they wasted seven, eight years yeah. doing those That's shows. That's what it was like in Portland is that I was lucky enough to miss uh, triple runs where you'd have Ooh, to go the triple runs. I've heard about that. And that was your only thing. And I, and I luckily, within the first six months of me doing stand up, the first Bridgetown Festival happened. And the thing I know, I'm able to go around and meet people who I actually like in comedy and who enjoy my comedy and start getting my name out to other people without me having to do that. Like people, uh, probably the first people who ever befriended me that I liked were like Brent Weinbach and Moshe Kasher. Like, and they have been very helpful to make sure that I'm in the right rooms, you know, and know the right people. That's fantastic. And I feel like I hate to say this, but Bridgetown put Portland on the map as a comedy town. Yeah. Because there was Harvey's, which I never heard much good about, and I heard that the person who ran it wasn't the best yeah. and really didn't really care much about comedy. He cared about making money, which is why they didn't want to book comics that they had to pay more than a certain amount. Exactly. And then Bridgetown came, and then it revealed there's all these comics that have been wanting to come perform at Portland, but since there was only one game in town, they're like, well, I guess I'll never go to Portland. Suddenly they're coming to Portland. There's this giant audience starved for good comedy intelligent book reading it, it, and and suddenly there people were coming to do a festival for free because it was just so much fun they just had a good time yeah uh, and then uh, being a portland comic at a time it was also the same thing of like where did this audience come from because we've been out every night doing shows and none of you guys have been here but then they started coming to those shows. Exactly. They started coming to those shows. Then there's this now, I feel like I can't stop hearing about Portland. Bunches, bunches, Carmel. Bunches, bunches, Carmel. Carmel, Carmel, Shane Torres. Shane Torres, Shane Torres, Shane Torres. <laughs> um, so it's like, that's good. There's all these great comedians in Portland. And now there's a scene in which people are just getting better because they're getting stage time. Yeah, absolutely. And you get better when you're around comedians that are better than you. Absolutely. It's well. my favorite thing. It's the thing that I'm doing now more and more, uh, putting myself in situations, not even doing stand-up, like, you know, doing, like, I got to do uh, Chris Hardwick's test run for his panel show and coming up with something, doing Iron Comics, stuff like that, where I'm like, oh, not only do I have to go against great comedians, I'm not even giving my material anymore to work with. I have to just be funny and me. And it's a whole new challenge. I really like it. I'm still definitely like the kid, you know, but I like it. it like, uh, I think I talked to you about it before or someone else. I remember who I was talking to about it, but it was like, it's like being a rookie and then, then being like, Hey, you can come play on the Olympic team. Like you're not going to get much playing time, but you can come and learn from these great people and you get to, uh, see how what type of professional you want to be. Like I've been lucky enough to work with people like Nick Kroll and Paul Tompkins and things. And I, I not only are they fucking hilarious to me, I go, I like how they act as business people. I like how they interact with people on a human level. And these are people I can learn from. And I didn't always have that type of people around me. 
And so that's been a definite boon to my life. Mm. Boon. <laughs> I was going to say boom, but I felt like boon was the better. <laughs> I didn't oh, know Daniel. So, it. in closing, in summation, what is, what are you doing to instigate more balance into your life moving forward right now from this moment? Uh, just being an active participant in my life, trying to be more of a driver instead of the passenger in the car. Uh, just... I, that's very good. I've used that exact same metaphor before. I'm going somewhere. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm driving it. Yeah, but now I'm trying to drive this car go where I want to go. Uh, you know, seeing Sicko, no one asked me what I wanted to do before. And now, like, more and more people ask me, what do you want to do? You know, what do you want? And not having an answer to that is unacceptable now, you know? So it's more me trying to break those things down into plans and not limit what I think I could do. Because it was definitely just, like, make enough money so that you don't have to work another job. You can just survive off a of stand-up. And that's a great goal, and it's always a goal. And as long as I have that, then I feel successful. But then it's also, like, never limit your possibilities. So push out and do what you want to do. Like, everybody... It's stoked that I'm extremely stoked that I'm going to be on a TV show and stuff, but it's like, that's not all I want to do. Like, I'm here to do stand-up and do comedy. And Plus, do... you never know what can happen with a TV show. Exactly. I'm a living coming example go. of that. They come and they go. I'm well aware. <laughs> TV show for two years, broke, broke, broke. Yeah, exactly. What's I'm next? I'm not a dummy. Like, I'm not ready to wild out on anything. I just want to be in entertainment until I die, and I don't want to die for a long time, and I want to not be super fucking broke. So, so you say you're saying you want to be the next host of Wild and Out. Sure, why not? <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> or am is no. I got it. <laughs> well, Ron, thank you very much for burning her. Wait, thank let me say that him. with words. Okay. Well, Ron, thank you very much for being here. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't no thing. <laughs> I got a couple things to do. Some very important, like go get a Dr. Pepper, and some not so important, like call Delta Airlines to get my bag back. Uh, because there's a lot of things in there that I want. Holy shit, guys, I took my key clothes to fucking Canada with me, and now I don't have them. What the fuckle ducks? Shizzle, dizzle, hizzle, mizzles. Am I right, guys? Anyway, I hope you all have a good week. I sincerely do. I'm going to have a good week. See, look at this. This is this positive reinforcement shit I'm trying out. I'm going to have a good week. This is going to be a good, positive, productive week. I'm going to get a lot of things done. And I'm not going to fucking be like, wah. You know what I mean? Even though uh, I've been waiting a month on a check from a college that would have saved my life that fucked up the whole situation with the law firm that's suing me. I was supposed to pay them $2,000, and now they're like, no, we're not going to take that. We'll only take $3,500, which wouldn't have happened had this person at this college in Tennessee not lost my fucking check, and I'm getting it four weeks late, which made me two, le two weeks late on my month before I did a gig that I could make my rent. My month? Two weeks late on my month? I mean, two weeks late on my rent. Anyway, that's the kind of shit I'm not trying to talk about. I'm going to have a good week. I'm going to have a good week, guys. It's going to be fantastic. And you know what else is fantastic? You. 
You're fantastic. Thank you. Deep shit. Oh, my God.